Hello and welcome to our online service. Have you ever felt too busy to interact with the people around you? Have you ever driven home and then you quickly rush inside because you hope you don't have to talk to any neighbors? <laughs> um, not because you're a Scrooge, but you know, you've got other things that you need to do. A few years ago, I was walking with a friend and a mentor of mine who um, I was going through some challenges I wanted his input on, and so we got time together, but we went to a fair. We went to this fair that the city put on, and we were walking along and just talking, just kind of enjoying the sights and the sounds while we were talking. And there were booths and vendors and, you know, things to buy and activities for the kids. And it was just a fun way for us to catch up. And we're just strolling along in conversation, and... Um, my mentor, his name is Todd, he, he broke off the conversation and started helping someone. There was a boy who was in one of the activities um, that had a whole bunch of like wood blocks and tools and they could build things. And he was clearly trying to build some sort of wooden airplane and was struggling. And so Todd jumped in, he started showing him how to use the tools and got him involved. And th he was like, you know, elbows deep into this project before I even realized what had happened. And you know, there was a dad there too, who was kind of standing off to the side, disengaged, but once he saw someone helping his son, he got involved and maybe he felt like he didn't know what to do either. But all of a sudden there was just this great chemistry happening and this boy was getting more confidence in, in using these tools and it was amazing. It was totally different than what I was expecting in terms of how to spend time. I had really paid no attention to that boy whatsoever. I would have walked right by him until, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't notice him until Todd made me aware of the struggle that he was having. And this mentor of mine is, is really well known for being aware of the people around him. And, you know, I had the thought, where's Todd? <laughs> well, he's looking out for people. And it made me think later, I was thinking, how many people don't even make it onto my radar? You know, I, I was looking around in that situation from my perspective. And Todd, he had a totally different perspective, totally different read on his environment. And sometimes I realize that I miss things when I'm so narrowly focused on my concerns. Like, what am I here for? What do, what do I want? What am I hoping to get out of this time? I can really miss things. I can get into a rut and only see a fraction of what's happening around me. And I, I don't want to miss what God is doing on a bigger scale or in individual lives. As we go through life, is it possible that God is concerned about things totally different, a different set of issues than what we're normally concerned about. How would you feel if you got to the end of your life and you discovered that while you had been focused on a bunch of really good things, you somehow were totally blind to the very best things? Things that seem, you know, maybe imagine you're getting to the end and you, and you see now or you see then that, that things that seemed so important just sort of fade into a blur and things or people that we barely noticed suddenly become very important. My name is Bruce Wood. I'm the lead pastor of Valley Lights Church, and I am really glad that you're joining us today. In fact, I'm very excited that you're here tuning in with us, and I'd really love to interact with you if you would just punch in your contact information somewhere um, on our connection card or in the chat. Uh, the reason I'm excited is because we're going to look at a story that Jesus spent time with someone that nobody noticed. <laughs> In fact, um, this person was disregarded, unacknowledged, and uh, the fact that Jesus took time for this person was controversial. 
And so we're wrapping up a message series today called Come and See. And we've been looking through the book of John, which is a biography of Jesus's life, where people came and saw what Jesus was like. And uh, it's just really amazing seeing how people respond to him when they encounter him for the very first time. And, you know, Jesus was living a life and he walked around in a human form and, and talked with people, interacted. And it was amazing. And the followers of Jesus, they had a perspective on how to relate with people. They had a certain perspective on how life works. And in one short but jarring conversation, Jesus smashed their perspective into pieces in order to reveal his viewpoint. And so we're going to start reading in John chapter 4, picking up with Jesus while he's on the road, he's traveling. And if you want to follow along with us, you can um, refer to a Bible that you have, maybe one on your phone or a physical one or the words on the screen. But in John chapter 4, verse 5, it says, So Jesus came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. There's some historical reference there. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon, and a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. So we have this situation where Jesus has been traveling, and because he's got a body like we got, he got tired and hot and needed some water, and was just asking this person for something to drink. Since she was there at the well, it was probably normal for her to be there and she had something to draw it with. And two things are very unusual about this. We might not see it initially, but the woman being there at this time was very unusual. First, the cool of the evening was the more normal time to get water. Like, why would you go in the hottest time of day? It's noon. And then second, it was a well that was outside of the city. There were probably water sources much closer that she could have gone to. But what we learn is that due to a life of immorality, she was not a very popular person in her town. And so she would rather walk the extra distance in the heat of the noonday sun in order to escape the hostility or the scorn from other people or other women. And so she's here at this well. Jesus is here and she's very surprised. <laughs> in fact, verse 9 says, The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. So she said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And asking someone for a drink of water would maybe be a normal thing to do. I mean, you've probably asked for water from a server at a restaurant a dozen times or, or more. But in this period of history, his request was a shocking breach of social custom. So to really understand this, what we're going to do is we've got to take a closer look at who this person really is. So this Samaritan person was different in a few ways. She was different in ethnicity. Samaritans were basically half Jewish. They were a mixed race in the history of Israel when um, people inter intermarried with foreign groups of people. And so there were centuries of mistrust that had developed over time and really a deep animosity between Jews and these Samaritans. And I wonder if it makes you think about any of the racial uh, tensions that we find ourselves in, you know, experiencing and seeing nowadays. Kind of reminds me of that. Um, she was also different in religious tradition. Samaritans only accepted the Pentateuch, which was um, you know, the first five books of the Bible. They worshiped God on Mount Gerizim rather than Jerusalem. So there's just some distinctives there. 
And many Jewish people despised the Samaritans so much that they would travel miles on foot around Samaria just so they didn't have to go anywhere near these towns. And here we find Jesus walking right through the center of this despised town. Um, she was also different because she was different in gender. She was a woman. And men did not speak with women in public, not even their own wives during this time. And again, there's, you know, the, the way gender is handled is different now, but there's a similarity in the fact that there's tension around gender-related issues. And then finally, she was different in lifestyle. She was an immoral outcast. She lived a promiscuous life and racked up a handful of marriages. And rabbis, like a good teacher rabbi like Jesus, certainly wouldn't associate with an immoral woman. For any Jewish person, whether you were a teacher or not, it, it would have been completely improper to take any food or water or drink from, from that, that had been touched by her. So in all of these ways that she is different from him, Jesus is totally shattering so many barriers. And if any of Jesus' disciples were there, their mouths probably would have been hanging open <laughs> at his request for water from this person. The woman probably approached the well thinking, well, there's a person there, but I'm going to be ignored. It would have been totally normal for her if she would have been ignored. And so when Jesus looks directly at her and makes a gentle request for water, I wouldn't be surprised if she dropped her bucket in shock. <laughs> Again, she said, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God, who, and who is saying to you, give me a drink? You would ask him, and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket, and the well is deep. So where can you get this living water? So she hasn't caught on to what Jesus is truly talking about here. She's a little confused, sounds skeptical. And, you know, in his kindness and his patience, Jesus says, everyone who drinks from this water, referring to the well, will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Now that sounds amazing. You thought sparkling water was good. <laughs> but here is the living water of spiritual life that her parched soul so desperately needs. And she's thinking in terms of physical water. And we looked at last week about Nicodemus and Jesus. They talked about being reborn or born again. And Nicodemus is thinking like physically being reborn. Jesus is talking spiritual. Again, here Jesus is talking about the spiritual and she's thinking physical. And so the, she says, um, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and I won't have to come here to draw water. <laughs> she would love the incredible convenience of an endless water supply. But we need to pause here for a moment because this is a point in which we can all relate to this woman because we all know what it's been like to be thirsty. And in this part of the country that I'm in right now, I'm, well, I'm in a lush backyard that's got a beautiful garden. But, you know, we're in a part of the country that really gets hot and dry a lot. And Santa Clarita gets very hot in the summer. If you were to look at the hills that are around us most of the year, you would see brown dryness. And there was one time I got very thirsty. <laughs> I was 
uh, I was leading a small team of some high school students and college students to distribute flyers and door hangers for our previous church. And it was in the summer, I think it was maybe July or August, probably like a hundred degree day, full sun. And I thought, um, we're probably good with one or two of those, you know, plastic water bottles. And that was totally insufficient for what we needed. <laughs> and so we're out there. It is just super hot. It's, it's um, you know, those little water bottles didn't last us very long at all. When you're like running in the full sun in that kind of heat. And so, and I was sort of the leader of the thing and I was, should have been planning. You, you, you'd maybe, some people would call this lack of planning. I would call it maybe being optimistic. I was a little optimistic that we wouldn't need that much water. <laughs> And anyways, me and I was with another high school student and we were doing these flyers and I thought, I'm going to shrivel up. We have got to get water. We were pretty far away from where our car was at the time in this neighborhood. And we're going around these houses and nobody's outside because of how hot it is. But one lady was outside for a moment. And I said, lady, would it be okay? I see you have a garden hose. Could I get some water out of your garden hose? <laughs> and uh, she said, sure. And so I, I just went for it. I just drank out of that hose and it didn't matter the taste. It didn't matter the temperature. It was so good. It, I can't even describe how refreshing water was. My tongue was so dry. It felt like dry velvet. <laughs> and um, man, it was, it was amazing. Just having such an elemental core physical need satisfied was an incredible feeling. When we look at this story, this woman's spiritual thirst was far more severe and desperate. Spiritual thirst is, is a picture of what life is like without Jesus. Living life my own way, according to my own devices, this is the condition that people find themselves in apart from God. So just imagine this scene. Here's this woman, this person who is so desperately dry spiritually, and Jesus is just standing a few feet away from her, ready in an instant to provide the most permanently refreshing conversion you can imagine. Compared to the well water or the hose water that I use, the living water from Jesus is far more deeply satisfying. It's fresh and delightful and powerful. And it's at this point that Jesus takes the conversation in an unexpected turn. And he said, go call your husband and come back here. And she said, I, I don't have a husband. And Jesus replied, you have correctly said, I don't have a husband. For you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. So, wow, wow. <laughs> Supernatural knowledge of her sinful life, this guy seems to have. So Jesus exposes the heart of this woman's issue. And she tried to answer evasively at first, you know, I don't have a husband, but it didn't get her very far. So she just says, sir, I see that you're a prophet. With this answer, she confirms that he's right and she's not trying to be evasive anymore. There's a little bit more dialogue that takes place and you can see that her heart is moving towards a position of repentance where she's beginning to acknowledge her spiritual need, her willingness to turn from her ways. And so she says, you know, verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And here, the story reaches a powerful, dramatic crescendo. Jesus told her, I 
the one who I'm speaking to you, am he. I am the Messiah. And just then his disciples arrived and they were amazed to see him talking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you want? Or what, why are you talking with her? No one had the nerve to ask what he was doing. And when Jesus said, I am the Messiah, it was profoundly significant. Messiah means I'm here to be the savior of the world, to bring God's salvation and make it available to every person on the planet. And up to this point, the woman did not know his real identity, and this revelation would have been a staggering shock to her. His disciples already knew that he was the Son of God, but he hadn't declared his identity publicly yet. Jesus had been operating somewhat incognito. He had done some miracles and got some attention, but to really reveal who he was, I mean, he could, he could have revealed this monumental truth to the most influential people in society at the time. The kings or the governors or the uh, spiritual leaders. I mean, the chapter right before this, he was talking with Nicodemus, one of the, the rulers of Israel. But now he chooses to make his big statement of identity. To this person, he reveals his identity to an obscure, immoral, despised Samaritan woman. This left his followers reeling. Jesus revealed himself to this woman first because he wanted to proclaim his plan for worldwide salvation. This was a preview of his plan for global evangelism. And so this story boldly proclaims that Jesus can cross every barrier to bring us what truly satisfies. There's no barrier that can prevent you from finding what truly satisfies. And this is the all-encompassing mission. And if his desire was to bring living water to a person, he can't be blocked or restricted. The love of Jesus is totally unobstructed by the barriers that may exist in our minds. The disciples had a very narrow view of who God would save. And I don't want to give them a hard time. They were influenced by the cultural factors at their time. and I wouldn't have done any better. But it took this jarring demonstration to jolt through the expectations of who God would love, who would get his love. It was like a sledgehammer experience that smashed through everyone's excuses for not showing love to certain kinds of people. Maybe Jesus thought, who's the person that's the farthest away from everyone's expectations? I'll start there. <laughs> I'll go to the polar opposite, the, the kind of person that doesn't even make it onto anyone's radar. Is she different in ethnicity? Is this person different with their religion or in their gender, their lifestyle, socioeconomic status? It doesn't matter. None of it matters. This woman's story was very desperate. Over the years, her story has brought hope to many people. She was known by Jesus. He knew about her sin, her dark history, and still he chose to reach out. If Jesus would go after a person like that, if God could turn her life around, is there anybody that's unreachable? This story brings hope to me because I got I to gotta ask, what, what good reason do I have for receiving Jesus' living water? If things were going the way that the disciples thought, I, I, I wouldn't be included in the family of God. I, I would be thought of as a Gentile outside God's kingdom. But praise God that he brings salvation and makes it available to all of us. If you haven't made Jesus the Lord of your life, if you haven't experienced his refreshing water that truly satisfies in life, what barrier is still standing in the way? Clearly, we, we see that 
Jesus is capable of moving right through the obstacles. Could it be that there's a barrier blocking you from reaching back and responding to him? Jesus stands nearby, ready to hand us eternal life, but it has to be received by us. We must turn in response to him. Or maybe you've already made Jesus the Lord and the boss of your life. If that's the case, you've got a new role. You're now a water carrier. You have the ability to share the incredible news about what Jesus offers. Years ago, I was in Mexico on a team. We were helping build a house for um, um, a pastor family in a small town. And they had drums, big drums of water, which was their water source. They didn't have plumbing there. And one of the boys that lived there was, they, they, were, they were playing with the water. They were scooping it out and splashing it on each other. And I heard one of the moms say, Mijo, el agua es muy precioso. The water is very precious. This is what we have to live on. So the boy didn't realize what he had in his hands, what he was splashing out onto the ground. Here in Southern California, where we water the sidewalks, sometimes as much as we water the grass, the water's not quite as precious. It's easy to forget how valuable it is. And it's easy for me to forget how valuable the living water is. I can be so dissuaded by the barriers in front of me or the barriers that people put up in front of themselves that I forget just how powerful and precious is the living water that Jesus provides. If you are a follower of Jesus, do you believe that the living water in you is this valuable and precious? So valuable to people dying of thirst. Very often we allow obstacles to remain in our way, blocking us from reaching out and loving people. And there may be a variety of obstacles in our minds. We, we may have excuses that allow us to avoid talking to certain kinds of people. I mean, I, I can't see how that person would ever turn to God. Or we might think, man, they're just, they're just too different from me. Like that Samaritan woman. They're just too different in ethnicity or lifestyle or their history. Or just being too busy can be an obstacle. I don't feel like I've got time to reach out. Or, or perhaps we just fail to notice people altogether. And sometimes people are hostile to conversations about God and Christianity, and they don't want to listen. And the truth is that people who have not experienced God's saving love, they're searching for water, but the wrong kind. They don't know where to find it. And the hostility that's there may present a tough exterior, but they're parched on the inside. And sometimes the turning point in a person's life is that problems get so bad that they, they finally become willing to consider the living water that Jesus provides. You know what's interesting about this story of the Samaritan woman is that after Jesus just totally wrecks everyone's ideas about <laughs> who to love and who's going to get God's love, he points their attention to the fields of grain around them. And he says, don't you say that there are still four more months and then comes the harvest? Like, you know, you, you look at the, the grain that's growing and you anticipate when to, to bring it in. He says, listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. Again, he's, he's not talking physical. He's going spiritual here. The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper can rejoice together. He's placing an urgency on reaching those who are lost and dry and thirsty. 
So there's no need to wait. We don't need to wait for anything before we participate in God's plan to bring love and living water to people. And by this time, the Samaritan woman had returned to her village and she said, she, you know, says she left her water jar, went into town, and she told the people, come and see a man. Again, here's that phrase, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? She thinks it is. She's convinced. So they left the town and made their way to him. The disciples just had to look up at the other Samaritans coming towards them. And you can imagine that the white clothing that they probably wore, which was customary for the day, would have formed a striking contrast against the brilliant green of the grain-ripening fields, appearing in a way like ripe um, pieces of stock ready for harvest. It was just an immediate visual example, perhaps, of the ripe time for harvest. We too can lift our eyes to see those who are ripe and ready to experience God's saving love. We can identify some ways to reach out with His love. One of the ways we can do that is just to slow down in life. <laughs> to look around. Just bump up on the priority list the, the pace of, of looking at people around me. And we can go out of our way. We can in inconvenience ourselves or my schedule. Um, in fact, sharing the kind of love for people that Jesus describes here is rarely convenient. Another thing is we can smile at people and just <laughs> smile, you know, and do it often. It has a profound impact on just connecting with people. We can put on an attitude of patient love and faithfulness over the long haul. And just expressing care for people over the long term makes a big impact. You might also remember this phrase, it's us for them. It's never us against them. Jesus had he has entrusted us with the message that people need to hear. And we can invite people to church. Today is Palm Sunday. It is the Sunday before Easter. We remember that Jesus entered Jerusalem while many praised him and gave him honor prior to his death. And so Easter is next Sunday. And, you know, maybe sharing the good news about Jesus may feel a little daunting to you, but certainly you could invite someone to come to church. We're going to start a new message series next week, um, really looking at how there's an escalation of conflict and tension in many aspects of public life, and it's really easy to see what people are against. I'd rather be for something. And so instead of revolving around negativity and anxiety, we're going to look at how can I focus my life in a positive direction so that I'm living with purpose. I think it'll be really helpful for anyone wanting to, to grow in that way or connect with Jesus. Invite people to come with us. Imagine God using us to reach more people far from him. Incredibly, Jesus gives us the rewarding joy of participating in the harvest and seeing lives changed for eternity. If you've been tracking with this message series, we've been watching people encounter Jesus. After three weeks on this topic, I'll boil it down to two big action steps that you might consider taking. One way to take action is to say, I will firmly place my trust in Jesus, and commit my entire life to Him. Maybe you're ready to stop going back and forth in your mind. It's no mistake that you are watching or listening to this today. Jesus is eager to give you the living water. Maybe you're ready to drive a stake into the ground, and for the first time you want to commit your life to Him as your Lord. Let us know. We would love to help with that. Second, you might have already done that. You would say, I will talk to someone about how they can become a follower of Jesus. Who in your life needs to hear the incredibly good news? Or who needs to hear it again? Because <laughs> it takes sometimes repeat instances. 
when, would you, when might you do that? Could you set a time on it? Could you ask God for help in sharing the good news? Wherever you're at today, you can stay, take a step closer to Jesus and deepen your commitment to him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for all the barriers you crossed to get to us. I love you, Lord. I'm so grateful for your love for us and that you've made a way for us to gain access into God's family and you satisfy and give water to those parched areas of our lives and you give us the promise and the hope of eternal life. Would you use us as a church and a body to spread the good news about the living water? Would you strengthen us in our relationships that we may take great hope in our endurance as we move towards your heavenly city. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Happy Palm Sunday. I'm very glad you joined us, and I hope to see you next week on Easter.